At a time of deep division in today's society, we must come together for humanity's sake. On Can We Talk 360, we strive to stimulate an authentic conversation on issues that affect all of us in an environment of tolerance. I'm Eugene Pettis, attorney and community servant. Let's discover how there is strength in our differences and an abundance of possibilities when we stand together as one humanity. Thank you for tuning in today's episode of Can We Talk 360? One of the great aspects of a new year is all of our new year resolutions are still on the table. That's when optimism is at its highest and hope of being better energizes our spirits. At its core, we pledge to do better and to be better. I want you to hold on to that optimism and promise during this next conversation. This podcast was born out of really the occurrences in our social community in 2020. It was really during the George Floyd's murder back in May of 2020 and the subsequent protests. I remember feeling the emotions like I've never felt before of how can we as a just society stand by and observe such raw, blatant racism. I couldn't believe that that happened on the streets of my America. And I felt that it was important to do more than just feel sorry for what we saw on the television, but I needed to step forward and start a conversation. And that was the beginning of Can We Talk 360. It was based upon the need for an authentic conversation among all members of society, not just within the African-American communities, but across community lines with our white brothers and sisters, Hispanics, Asians, all of us need to have an authentic, honest conversation about what we felt, what we saw, and where we wanted to go as a society. And that's always going to be the hallmark and the guiding light for what we do here at Can We Talk 360. It is essential that we are able to share our true feelings. We saw the beginning of a major paradigm shift in our racial consciousness of humanity, the likes of which I had not seen in the last 50 years. It all started after the senseless, depraved acts of one human being upon another. So the inspiration that led to Can We Talk needs to be our North Star. It needs to be the light which we follow. We cannot be afraid of having the conversation about race. After the events that have unfolded last Wednesday, January 6, 2021, on Election Certification Day, it is evident that we as a society, as humanity, need to have this conversation on an ongoing basis. It was back in May and June of 2020 that I started writing some editorials. The first one that I wrote in in June was the racism conversation. What are we so afraid of? Think about that. What are we so afraid of? The second one I wrote is now what? Action must follow racial awareness. That after we have gotten in the streets, we've protested, we've talked about it, now what? And we talked about the essential activism and follow-up that was necessary. 
The topic of race and our perceptions have reached a heightened and dangerous level of divisiveness. We are afraid to have this conversation, but what are we so afraid of? I I thought about that, and I want you to think about it as we go through this podcast. Some of the things that I think we're afraid of is the concern that we will be perceived as unsympathetic. I've talked to some of my white brothers and sisters and said, what is the angst? What's the concern for getting engaged in the conversation? And they talked about the perception of being considered a racist or being unsympathetic if they were not all in on our perceptions and our feelings. So one that I don't want to say anything that I may be perceived incorrectly. The other is that we don't want to hurt each other's feelings. And that's an honorable virtue. You don't want to bring hurt to your friends, your colleagues, or just people in general respect. But I ask you to think that the lack of authenticity probably hurts the relationships even more and certainly has a longer lasting effect. If we can't talk about these critical societal issues, then I'm silently screaming that you as a colleague or you as a friend just don't get it. And you, by walking around oblivious to what I'm feeling, you're missing the reality and you're missing the teaching moment that could have made our human bond even stronger. So it's essential that we we deal with these issues. The topic on race, without question, has gotten harder, but we are so diametrically opposed on how we view society activities, uh, it makes it even more important to speak, to communicate in this country. We're looking at the world through totally different lenses, observing the same actions, but our emotions are being triggered differently. And that is only creating a greater separation. When we're seeing the same show and I'm walking away with one emotion and you're walking away with another. What happened on January 6th? Remarkably, I think evidences that dichotomy, that divergence of perception. I ask, when you observed the attack on the, on the Capitol on election certification day, the insurgents on our United States Capitol to stop the certification process. How did that make you feel? Think about it. What emotional response did you feel seeing the violence that was being carried out physically, verbally, insults on not only our democracy, but our fellow citizens? I'll share with you that every single person of color, whether it was in my family, through my siblings, my children, cousins, and all the people of color that I spoke to, almost to a person had the same reaction. And it was simply, had they been black, you'd have had a different outcome. Now, I raise that because that's an example of perception. That's the lens that we look through. Yet on the other side, my white colleagues and friends saw it and saw the insurgents and thought it was wrong, but totally missed the racial tension that we saw. 
And why is that? Why is it that people of color looked at that and came away with that emotion? Well, I'll tell you from my instance, it's worth 60 years of life. It's how I've always seen people from my community get treated in significantly less threatening instances where when there was just a perception you may be doing something or a perception that you may have a weapon. I've seen friends as in my childhood get killed over a mere perception. And then when you see how Black Lives Matter protests, people coming to the streets of Washington back in the summer and exercising their First Amendment right through protests, and you saw the level of police presence. You saw the utilization of every military uh, presence that we have, even the threat of putting active military people on the streets of Washington, D.C. And you saw physical pushing and batons and shooting rubber bullets, all the things that we saw through people merely in the streets. Yet, on last Wednesday, what we saw were even more menacing, threatening behavior. You saw people literally beating police officers. You saw people with spraying mace in police officers' faces. You saw the guy breaking the Capitol window, that's one of the lasting videos that we'll forever see, beating and breaking out the window with a police shield that he's taken from an officer. And even in the face of all of that, there was only one police officer that shot one individual, and that's the unfortunate young lady who died. They were willing to observe their own be beaten, yet not take the use of physical force. The unfortunate Capitol Police young man who died, think about how he died. He died with a fire extinguisher being thrown up against his head, causing internal bleeding. I can't think of too many things more violent. Yet, the officers who observed that never took a shot. We don't know to this day who it was that threw that fire extinguisher. The person that threw it and hit him in the head, leading to his death, was able to walk out of that Capitol and go back home. Would that ever have taken place if that had happened in the summer of 2020? I don't think anybody who is being truthful to their heart could suggest that would have been the outcome. We know because we've seen people on mere suspicions, people running away from officers, black men getting into their cars being shot seven times in the back, running away being shot. And what is the typical claim? I was in fear of my life. That's, that's, that's clear what we always hear. I was in fear of my life, therefore it justified my behavior. Therefore, it justified for me to use deadly force. I was in fear of my life. And I couldn't help but ask, why is it that being faced in many instances with a black man running away is more fearful to a cop than a white man standing in front of them 
spewing hatred, some beating officers with flagpoles, throwing rocks, and that's not putting them in fear of their life. How can that be? How can you literally see one of your fellow officers being pushed up against a door screaming for his life? Literally screaming for his life. You want to be in fear of my life? Being squeezed by a mob up against a door. That's true fear for your life. So how could the officers observing their fellow brother being squeezed by the mob crowd chanting every vile thought that could be screamed did not have the feeling that I'm in fear for my life or my fellow officer is in fear for his life, yet on such tenuous suspicion that someone may have a gun or he may attack me, we use that as a justification for deadly force against community of color. This is the conversation that we must have. It ain't pretty and it's not comfortable, but it's the truth. And these are the directions, these are the perceptions that we must be willing to pause and to listen and be willing to look at the events that are unfolding and to understand how it appears from those from minority communities. And folks, no one other than the people who are executing the violence are actively are directly at fault. But we all, when we stand silent, become complicit when we see these types of injustices in our society. When we listen and observe a Colin Kaepernick, we know the episode of three, four years ago when he kneeled down in silence. He didn't turn his back to the, to the audience. He didn't, turn, he didn't shoot a bird to the audience doing the national anthem. He didn't even hold up a black power sign. He kneeled in prayer. Probably one of the most submissive positions we can have as a human being, bowing down in a kneeling posture. How could that individual be deemed by the president of the United States as a son of a bitch who needs to leave this country if he doesn't like it? And we tolerate that type of rhetoric. Yet, the same person, when he knows for a fact that there had been death at the Capitol. At minimum, he knew that the young lady had been killed in the midst of the riot. And yet when he spoke his words, what did he say? He said that there were very special individuals that had stormed the Capitol and asked them to go home in love. How could you have such diverging pictures? One, black man kneeling and another, a white mob destroying the Capitol in a killing rage. And only God shared mercy on all of us that more people were not harmed by the mob. Let's have a brief break to hear from our sponsor. The law firm of Hallett, Pettis and Schwamm is a proud sponsor of the Can We Talk 360 podcast. Our firm handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, 
catastrophic personal injury litigation, and workers' compensation matters. We pride ourselves in being advocates for justice on behalf of those who have been seriously injured. For decades, we've taken the lead in making your case our priority. It's who we are. It's who we'll always be. Hallitzer, Pedersen, Schwamm. Serious injuries, proven results. How can we have such a different perception of, of these two events? And those are just samples. There are so many others that, we, that I could put here, but time does not allow. Folks, I think it goes to how we tolerate devaluing of lives. The only explanation, the only explanation in my opinion, that justifies or explains how the Black Lives Matter movement was met with such violent force of opposition from law enforcement and how the most violent insurrection that I've ever seen in my life that played out live and in color across the world was met with such tempted, soft, passive law enforcement's presence is how we devalue certain communities and how we value other communities. How can we justify such disparity and know that we each are justifying it through our silence and our tolerance of such disparity. When we allow our law enforcement to, and the U.S. Capitol law enforcement and all other law enforcement to feel comfortable treating less violent citizens in the most violent way and the most violent citizens in a less violent way. That's a system that cannot be upheld. That's a system that cannot be justified. And that's not a system that's going to make America live up to its moral values of justice for all people. That is a system of just for us. It's not justice for all. And that we got to be frank about that. And that's the conversation. That's the conversation that I want to stimulate. That's the conversation that I hope many of you listen to and be willing to share through emails to Can We Talk 360 to let us know your feelings so that we can stimulate a conversation. This is not a topic that's a one episode dialogue. This topic will be the undergirding of all that we talk about, not just on race, but on how we exist and how we create a better community, how we lift each other up in all fields of human endeavor. How do we take all of our institutions, not just policing, that's obviously one that's applicable to what happened over the past week and certainly this past summer, but how we take all of our institutions and create equity, whether it's in healthcare, education, business, business opportunities and the equities of our economy, how we go about making sure that there is level ground, equal treatment, and just opportunities for all of us. This is what we have to talk about. So in closing, understand that what we're talking about and asking for my white brothers and sisters not to be treated like black folks are being treated, being shot, beaten, devalued. We, we don't want that. But we are asking that black brothers, sisters, sons, and daughters of African ancestry and Hugh can be treated like my white friends and not live with a threat of institutional sanction of violence and racial devaluation just because of the skin color. We as America can be better. 
I know it. I know it because of the fact that I have so many friends across so many demographic lines and I know very, very wholesome, good people who have the same common values that I do. We all want the same things in life. We want happiness, security of family, enough economics to have some fun along this journey called life and to be safe within our homes. Basic things that we all want. And that's what's wanted by any human being. But we have to be willing to recognize, acknowledge. And acknowledgement is just not seeing it. Acknowledgement is seeing it and doing something about it. That's when you've truly seen someone. When you see them during the course of a day, you see people cross your eyes, they were there for a second, and they're gone. And you'll never think about them again. But when you really see them, you pause long enough to see who they are. And we need to pause long enough to see this situation for what it is. And through that pause, to get engaged and to have a conversation of how we can level the playing field and how we can open up a few seats to the table of opportunity. That's the goal that we have here at Can We Talk 360, to get to a place where humanity is the beacon that guides our light. So in conclusion, I want each of you to think about how can we as a society start overcoming the fear of having the racism conversation. And by having that conversation, it's not a one time, but it's a comfort to discuss life issues, things that are going on that we talk to in our circle of safety, but we're unwilling to have the authentic conversation across certain demographic lines. How can we have that conversation on an ongoing basis? What are some of the steps you believe can get us to a more authentic, healthy, and wholesome relationship as brothers and sisters of humanity and so that we can start taking away the disparities of race in this country. Let me hear from you and you can reach out at any point in time at canwetalk360 at gmail.com. Share your comments with me and I'll assure you that we will respond to same and have your voice be heard in the ongoing conversation toward a more healthy society. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Can We Talk 360. I sincerely hope that you were inspired to seize this moment in time and take real action towards change. Remember, all change begins with a conversation. Be sure to tune in every month for more fascinating discussions and motivational food for the soul. Please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Can We Talk 360 and visit us on the web at www.canwetalk360.com.